Hey, Todd. Welcome hey, once again Corey. to Political <laughs> as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, and of course, you're Todd Weiler, and we're here again live. We are. This is our second Facebook Live. It was so much fun last week. We thought we'd do it again. And of yeah, course, this great. will all, all roll over to a podcast tomorrow, Political as Heck. Yep, it'll be great. So, Corey, I know you live in Lehigh. I don't know if you heard anything. There was a teacher on the first day of school on Tuesday, said some controversial stuff. Um, what did you think about the, uh, the, the video that got distributed throughout Utah? Yeah, it's a big deal. So this video begins with the teacher expressing her opinion about, the vac- about vaccinations, child vaccinations, student vaccinations, and, and safety and so forth. And and then it uh, continues into a rant about Donald Trump. She hates Donald Trump, calls him a sexual predator, says he sucks, he's a moron. And then it moves into, she, she kind of goes on a rant about parents saying, she said, I'm going to read this. Most of y'all parents And this is where she got you. into trouble, in my opinion. Yes. This is, this is where yes. she crossed the line. Most of y'all parents are dumber than you. I'm going to say that out loud. My parents are freaking dumb. And the minute I figured that out, the world opens up. You don't have to listen to everything your parents say. And you don't have to believe every uh, everything your parents believe because most likely you're smarter than them. So to me, like, you know, we don't have to relitigate like what happened to this lady because ultimately um, Alpine School District within a day announced that she was no longer an employee and whether she was fired or, or resigned is uh, oh, she was fired. <laughs> I'm sure she was. But in, in any event, um, I think what's interesting for, for us, like moving forward is a couple questions. I think one of them is cameras in the classroom. And I think you'll, you'll talk about this for a second, but another one for me is, you know, another video showed her debating a student. This was, this was from a prior episode. She was debating another student over transgender issues and uh, kind of gender fluidity. And a, and a student had recorded her. This was from a prior day, not, not that day, but probably a, uh, last year or the year before. So it's obviously not the first time. And so the real question is like, you know, where do teachers how far can they go and where, where does the line cross? Here's a couple, here's a couple of data points. First, speech in the classroom does not have the same First Amendment rights as uh, First Amendment protection as speech as a private individual because the court has held that school districts have the authority to control content and curriculum. And also the law states that school officials and employees may not use their positions to endorse or promote or disparage particular political or uh, religious beliefs. So they are really limited. A part of me is like, you want a teacher who's, gonna, who's going to generate interesting conversation. Maybe not for every class, probably not for chemistry, but there were classes, you know, I remember taking a, a class at Hunter High School in West Valley City when I, was, uh, when I was a high school student on, I think it was called Contemporary Social Issues or something along those lines. And, and we had really interesting debates and sometimes you know, the teacher would say, you, you defend this side and you defend that side. And it may or may not have been even the views that we held. And I, I found that to be really valuable. But I think what you can't do is cross the line into like this dogmatic advocacy and more importantly, like create a hostile environment. I mean, it did seem like she was saying, I don't want to hear your views. And if you're going to share them, then you're going to be dealing with me. Well, obviously she, you she said that she would openly mock any student who yeah. disagreed with her. Yeah, you can't do that. And absolutely. I'll, this is my last thought absolutely cannot undermine parental authority in any way in K through 12. I mean, that's just not appropriate at all. I think she forgot the, the parents were paying her salary. The parents <laughs> were paying for her classroom and she's, you know, she kind of had this attitude that she was the God of her classroom. And, you know, on both videos, she's telling students, Hey, 
if you want to go to the administration and complain about me, that's fine because they won't do anything. Well, I think she was wrong about that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so let's talk about I've seen a lot of uh, people posting, you know, well, this is it. We need cameras in the classroom. You know, that's going to be a local decision. That's going to be up to the principal. That's going to be up to the local school boards. Um, but you know, I don't think that this warrants that, um, my guess is, is that one of these students walked into that classroom with her recorder, her video rolling, because this teacher has been doing this for years and probably had an older sibling in that class. Right. And so there may have been a little bit of a gotcha there, but, um, also just listening to her. Cause I want to say this, Corey, I clicked on that video and I was fully prepared to cut her some slack. I was fully prepared to defend her. And by the end of four minutes, I'm like, oh, she needs to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, well, the parent part, I mean, the parent part is where, because I mean, yeah. I guess the, the disparaging Trump is kind of, you feel like, I mean, I don't like it, but it's part if of If she course. had just done her vaccine rant and if she had just disparaged Trump, I would have probably defended her and said, hey, you know, none of us want to be judged by our weakest moment. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what she's not getting paid for in a science class, but you know, it's America, blah, 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 blah. But no, when she when she threw the parents under the bus and when she told the students that they would be openly mocked and ridiculed if they had disagreed with her, when she told the kids, you are the, you, you are what's wrong with the world if they didn't believe in <laughs> climate change or yeah. whatever. And I'm not a climate change denier, but you don't tell a, a little kid that you're the problem in the world. Absolutely. So, yeah. And she was very, um, she was very comfortable doing what she was doing, which kind of tells me, She's been doing this for years. This was probably has an isolated incident, but yeah, I, I don't think we need cameras in the classroom and we already have a teacher shortage. I think if we start telling parents, uh, if we start telling teachers, you're going to be on video eight hours a day. So every parent can second guess every single thing you do. I, I think we're going to have a mass exodus of teachers <laughs> resigning. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, they're, you know, there may be a few bad apples in there, but I think most of our teachers are pretty good and they're doing their best with what they have. So completely agree, but they should be on notice probably that, uh, especially if you're in high school and the kid's got a phone, there's a decent chance that if, uh, if you're going on a, a tirade, yeah. yeah, you might find it on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think that uh, the, there has been a shot across the bow for good or bad <laughs> for educators. And that story went national. It, it wasn't just a yeah. story. Yeah. Um, it, It did go national. All right, let's hit some, uh, some other local stuff. The census numbers are in Utah grew by 508,000 people between 2010 and 2020. That's just huge. That's 18, uh, basically 18 and a half percent. So Utah is now home to 3.27 million people. Todd, you posted some interesting stats on Twitter. What else did we learn from the census? Well, uh, this is going to shock people, not, but we're not growing uniformly. So, for instance, uh, Washington County and especially Wasatch County, Heber Park City and uh, Utah County are growing very, very fast. Um, Salt Lake County added a lot of people, but their growth rate, their percentage rate is, is, is relatively low. So I think Wasatch County... Uh, the Heber area grew at 38%, which I think was the fastest in the nation. And Washington County was over 30%. Uh, Utah County was over 20%. And so what this requires now is we got to go in and, and rebalance, recalibrate. And we're required to do this by the constitution, all of the, 
all of the lines for the 75 House districts for the state House, the 29 state Senate districts, the 15 state school board business uh, districts, and most importantly, the four congressional House districts on the federal level. That's where all the scrutiny gets. Um, and, and this may be a surprise to some uh, Democrats, but we actually don't redraw the lines for the U S Senate, because those are just the state. <laughs> and, um, I only, I only make, I only make that uh, joke because I don't know if you remember, but we had a, we had a candidate a couple of years ago, Kathy Allen, who announced she would not be seeking, um, uh, she would not be running for us Senate until the, uh, the, the gerrymandering stopped and the boundary lines were fixed. So. <laughs> and that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I agree. The interesting thing to me definitely is where the growth is happening. We, we kind of saw the outcome of this with um, Southwest Salt Lake County, you know, Harriman and, and uh, Riverton growing so much Northern Utah County. That's my community here in, in Lehigh. A lot of these houses didn't exist 10 years ago. Most of yeah. them didn't. And so for the fourth district race in, in 2020, I mean, it, it made a huge difference for, uh, for Burgess Owens. So what we've done on the, on the, for the legislative level, Corey, with the new numbers, each state Senate district, the ideal number is 112, about 112,000 people. So my Senate district right now did not grow as fast as the rest of the state. So I'm about 6,000 short. Whereas Jake Anderegg, who represents Lehigh and Saratoga Springs and Eagle Mountain. Yeah. And my Senate district is 65,000 too big. Yeah. Um, but here's what's fascinating. We have six, I think six uh, Democratic, D- Democrat senators out of 29 in the Senate. If every one of their districts is underwater in terms of not growing fast enough. If you take those six together, they're over 90,000 people short. Wow. And wow. So, I mean, even the Democratic leader in the Senate, the minority leader, Karen Maines, has said, we recognize we're going to lose uh, a Democratic seat just because the numbers aren't there. But I can promise you when the legislature adopts that map in October or November, we're going to be accused of, uh, of, of doing something nefarious even though that's what the numbers dictate. So the democratic areas in Salt Lake and Park City, they're not growing as fast as the Republican areas. And that's, that's just demographics. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I mean, another, another data point that I think was covered in all of our newspapers here is that uh, the minority population um, grew as a percentage of the population. I think where I grew up in West Valley city, obviously is a very different place demographically than it, than it used to be. But Overall, it's not it's not growing as fast. I think is the point you're making. It's not growing as fast as yeah. Utah County or and there's St. always George. there's always some interesting little uh, outliers in the census data, and one of them from this year is and I don't have the exact numbers, but we know that the Native American population grew by like three percent in the last decade, but on the census data, it grew like three or four times as much because more people, for whatever reason, are identifying as Native American. In 2020, interesting, yeah. In 2010, even though the, I mean, we know that the birth rate doesn't support that, and and on the on the flip side, to a certain extent of that, is a lot more Hispanics are are identifying as Caucasian, um, for whatever reason, you know. And and quite frankly, you know, if your if your grandpa is black and your grandma is Hispanic and your other grandparent is Native American and your other grandparent is white. I mean, you do have to kind of pick, you know, you know what you're going to identify as. But it is interesting how people what, what people mark down yeah. and how that changes from decade to decade. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, uh, the big news this week, Corey, internationally was the unfolding tragedy in Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban had taken control of all but the airport in Kabul. Um, and uh, Joe Biden uh, probably has had the worst week and the worst month and maybe the worst uh, quarter in his presidency. Absolutely. I want to first stipulate for, for everyone listening, like, I do think that it's time to move on from America's longest war. I do think that 20 years is enough. I mean, I have friends in the State Department who 10 years ago were saying that we were not accomplishing very much. We're treading water. So I want to stipulate ahead of time to say, I mean, I, I applaud Trump and even Biden for recognizing the time has come. But this horrific tragedy unfolding really is the result of Biden's colossal failures. I mean, we have American citizens who cannot make it to the airport for evacuation. We have U.S. military and State Department with no plan to protect our people, no plan to protect the thousands of Afghans who risk their lives to help coalition forces. Tens of thousands. Tens of thousands, yeah. I mean, we have European allies. These are the Biden-Obama fan base now, right? Yeah. European allies calling this the worst failure in the history of NATO. I mean, the Taliban have taken complete control. U.S. forces are relegated to hands and knees, like asking the Taliban, pretty please don't hurt our people. Meanwhile, they're hunting down, you know, all those individuals who helped us and their families. Women's and women and girls are forced out of schools. I mean, if, if you are one of our allies, I mean, what message do you take from this? If you're Taiwan or Hong Kong or Crimea or any of our allies around the world, what does China and Russia think? I mean, America is weak and our allies can see that we are not going to stand behind them, that we will, that we will turn around on a dime. And uh, it's just, it's so sad. I mean, the, the human law uh, tragedy here is, is, I mean, we've been seeing it on, on continuous roll on any cable news channel. It's, it's terrifying. It's sad. And it didn't have to be this way. This is, not a, this is not a matter of should we stay for another 20 years. This is a matter of can you, can you make a decent plan and put it together? In addition to everything you said, Corey, you know, we left uh, over a billion, maybe over $2 billion worth of equipment there, including Humvees and sophisticated drones. We've got the, Af uh, the Taliban now prancing around in American military uniforms and um, reenacting like the Iwo Jima, you know, the soldiers um, raising the flag just to mock us. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and we have Joe Biden, the guy that campaigned saying, hey, if I make a mistake, I'm going to be the first one to admit it. Now blaming Donald Trump, blaming the Afghan military, blaming the Afghan people, blaming everyone except himself, uh, which is exactly what he didn't remember. You know, um, he basically campaigned on, you know, the chaos will be over. And we, we've never seen this type of we never saw this type of chaos with the potential exception of January 6th. We never saw this type of chaos under Trump. He was accused of it a lot, but it rarely came into fruition. Now, and I'm going to take out January 6th because that was horrible. Um, uh, that was terrible. That was, that was, that was a low of this year for me until, until what we're seeing unfolding now. So, and I, and I, and I want to be clear, Trump did negotiate with the Taliban, but part of that was, uh, there was conditions on the Taliban. And one of those conditions was they had to cut ties with Al Qaeda. There was a number of conditions and the Biden administration did not hold the Taliban to any of them. So the Tal Taliban didn't do anything that they promised to do with the Trump negotiations. And so I've seen a lot of liberals, a lot of Democrats saying, well, this is all Trump's fault because he, he you know, he he negotiated for the withdrawal. Now, I think most Americans, you know, two months ago, I think it was over 75 percent 
supported leaving Afghanistan, but uh, not this way. Uh, and not not I mean, there's over 10,000 American citizens with U.S. passports who can't, you know, who are still trapped in Afghanistan. And, and we know, I mean, uh, uh, Biden's uh, spokesman uh, admitted this weekend that some of them are being beaten by the Taliban. Um, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's unconscionable what's happening there. And, and I just want to say, uh, I know this is different than Korea. Um, I know it's a little bit different than Saigon, but not as different as uh, Biden would have us believe. But, you know, we, we kept, we still have, we have more troops today in South Korea and more troops today in, in Germany than we did two months ago in Afghanistan. And uh, for strategic reasons, we never withdrew from those countries. And I, I don't know if you know this, Corey, but uh, South Korea never had a democratic election until the late 70s or early 80s. Mm-hmm. And the American troops were not welcomed in, in South Korea for decades. And now we're heroes there. And now we're great allies. But right after the Korean conflict ended, they wanted us to leave. And we didn't leave. And so we, we had about 3,500 3, or less uh, soldiers in Afghanistan for the last year. Uh, people are now describing this as a as an active war zone. The last American casualty in Afghanistan was in February of 2020. So in a year and a half, we've lost we lost no one. So it, it's hard to call that a war zone when when you've got 3000 people there, maybe 3500. No one's getting shot at. No one's getting killed. And, you know, the arguments being made, well, they weren't doing they weren't killing anybody because Trump had agreed to leave. But um, no one agreed to leave and abandon billions of dollars of equipment, leave yeah. American citizens with no embassy staff to, to assist them with their paperwork, leave all of our SIVs, all of our translators stranded. It, it's, it's just a, a real crap show over there. And- exactly. I mean, the, the, blame, the blame game with, uh, with Trump just rings so hollow. Had, yeah. had Trump done this, I would be just as, just as uh, critical. I mean, it was, this is a Biden mistake. On 100 different issues, he turned a different direction than Trump had been going on a hundred different like regulatory issues and so forth. Why would this be any different? Well, well, and it looks like he just wanted a cheap political victory to stand up on September 11th, which by the way, it just doesn't translate. I mean, that's the day that, you know, the, the towers came down, but he wanted to stand up on September 11th and say, look at, look at, you know, look at me. I got us out of Afghanistan. Like I promised to do. And, you know, he's right to a certain extent because Obama campaigned on getting us out of Afghanistan. Trump campaigned on getting us out of Afghanistan and Biden, you know, I think he's effectively said, look at, I didn't want to turn this over to a fifth president, but he's got two and a half years left. On, oh, he's got three, absolutely yeah. three and a half years left on his term or over three years left on his term. It didn't have to be done last week and uh, nobody wanted it done this way. Um, so this, this whole September 11th, August 31st deadline was artificial and, and we made extreme sacrifices uh, so that, that he could try to have this hollow victory on, on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And I, quite frankly, am disgusted by it. And yeah. I'd like to say, you know, I, I'd like to say I, I would say the same thing if Trump had done this. But um, th- this is this is not the uh, the varsity team. And th- this is a level of incompetence that we have we have rarely seen in, from the White House. Yeah, 100 percent. So, I mean, as a corollary in the midst of this uh the human tragedy that's that's unfolding. Governor Cox sent a letter to President Biden offering Utah as a home for refugees fleeing Afghanistan. And I mean, there's has been some uh, controversy over this on the right. But Todd, what do you think? Do you support Governor Cox and invite? I support him 100%. We've had a refugee center in uh, in Salt Lake City for about four decades. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, I, I hope that um, 
I hope that we get a lot of these Afghan refugees here in Utah. And I, and I know that if we do, the community will rally around them. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. hundred percent support it. I mean, these men and women put their lives on the line because they believed in America. And I think uh, this sort of a callous betrayal to just turn and leave them to their probably torture and death is just unacceptable. And uh, obviously we would have no, no credibility to lecture the world about human rights anymore, you know, following that. And, but that's not even the important part. The important part is these, these are real human beings, people that helped us and uh, we owe them something. And our last topic today, Corey, is uh, OH Predictive Insights released a, a poll taking stock of the Utah Republican primary race for U- U- U.S. Senate. Uh, what do you think of this or these early poll numbers? Do you, are you surprised? I'm a little bit surprised, I guess. So just, just to get, let our listeners know, you know, the question was, if the Republican primary for U.S. Senate was held today, which candidate, uh, and it was listed in random order, which candidate would you most likely vote for? And it came back. Mike Lee, 45% said they would vote for Mike Lee. Brendan Wright, 3%. I have no idea who that is. I'm well, sorry. he dropped out two months ago. It's actually Joel Wright's brother. Oh, okay. Uh, Becky Edwards, 3%. Allie Isom, 2%. And then the, the undecided, 48%. But, I mean, Isom and to some extent Edwards actually did worse in Salt Lake County than in rural counties, which that part surprised me a little. I mean, just seeing how you know Salt Lake County typically is viewed as more moderate than maybe the rural parts of the state, but I mean, across the board, they have some work to do, but it does seem like with 48% undecided, there is, you know, there is some room to grow. what do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, one, one way to look at this is to say Mike Lee has been in office for, you know, a long time and he, less than 50% of the people polled, you know, are ready to vote for his reelection. The other way to see this is he's got a 15 times lead over his next strongest <laughs> opponent. Um, so I, I, as, as we've said, almost in every episode since we've started this podcast, I do think Mike Lee is very likely to get reelected. Um, I think the world of Becky Edwards and of Ali Isom, but uh, this is a tough, it's, it's tough to be an incumbent in Utah. Um, Mike Lee has a very strong base of support. He's made some missteps. I think the captain Moroni comment that he made, um, you know, last November, um, I think that that was a lot of people didn't like that, but I don't know that a year from now, a year and three months from now, that that's going to, that's going to be the number one thing on voters' minds. Yeah. All right. More to come. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. Catch us on the podcast too. Take care.